uh, last week uh, for Easter. Um, not that you caused it, but uh, we had a really good group of people here last Sunday. We believe there was some fruit uh, from that. Uh, and that's in large part because you uh, invited people. You knocked, uh, or you put door knockers, or, or not door knockers, that'd be a weird thing. But you put door hangers on doors. You ask your friends to be come worship with you. And I, I love that. So thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, we're in Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read... Verses 1 through 22. Now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary for a tabernacle was set up. And in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand and the table and the presentation of loaves. Behind the second curtain was a tent called the most holy place. It had the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Uh, the cherubim of glory uh, were above the Ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. Uh, side note, I love how the author of Hebrews says he's not speaking in detail when he is the most detailed person I've ever had to deal with. Uh, continue verse 6. With these things prepared like this, the priests entered the first room repeatedly performing their ministry. But the high priest uh, alone enters the second room, and he does that only once a year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food and drink and the various washings imposed until the time of the new, new order. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cow sprinkled like those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead work so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he's the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the internal inheritance, because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will is valid only when people die. Since it is never in effect while the one who made it is living. That is why the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when every command had been proclaimed, Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats, along with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, everything is purified with blood, and without it, the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no 
forgiveness. Our sermon title for today is A Better Access. I don't know if you have come to the point in your life where you realize that you hate customer service, but I've arrived there. Uh, I have arrived there uh, really a few years ago. Uh, but in arriving there, you realize that they continue to build walls between you and who can actually help you. Uh, here at Grace Bible, we have the internet, we and the rest of the world. And when I say we have the internet, what I mean is we pay money in order for the internet to be here in, in the building. Uh, probably three months ago, Jared and I started to notice that our internet speed was slower than it should be or a turtle and we also noticed that there were times for us when there was absolutely no connection whatsoever and when you are doing things like we do Sunday to Sunday we really do need the internet in this first world that we live in common sense of needing the internet so we began to deal with them and Jared made the first phone call to the kind people at our internet company I will not name them by names they rhyme with bombast and when we had this conversation with them, they let us know that it was really on our end. And we had no idea what they meant by it being on our end. They just said, everything is okay from our building. We will run a reset. So they ran their reset, and they were reset, and everything was okay on their end. But on our end, we're still having these horrific problems. Now, I don't like to intervene in these matters unless I have to, but there came a point last week when I was doing my very best to connect to the internet so that I could work on a sermon. And you guys are probably thinking, that internet has been out for a long time. And as I'm attempting to work on the sermon, I had moments where I would have no connectivity for 20 to 25 minutes. I'm trying to work on this word processor. I'm, I'm starting to memorize things. I'm considering getting some scriptures tattooed on my hand so I can read from that. So I called the fine people at Comcast or Bombast. And I let them know very quickly that I needed them to be here. But by letting them know that, I did not even get through for over an hour. What happened was... The people who answered were not really people. They were robots. And these rob and I've got robot doctors in the room and I get that, but these robot these this and this automated teller keeps saying to me, they can understand me completely. They've never met anyone from Tennessee. You cannot understand anything I say completely. So I'm yelling at them over the phone. And it comes to the point where I'm saying, representative, representative, representative. So I'm not alone in the room. Who's been here? <laughs> not just with Comcast, with everybody. But I'm representative, representative. They're asking me to enter our number. I had the account number. I entered the account number. When I finally got through to a human being after saying representative a grand total of 47 times... And entering my number multiple times, their first question was, what's your account number? I have told you, robot person. They tell me that the internet is working just fine from their end. 
Well, I'm glad that you have internet because we do not at 1027 Dixie Drive. We'll run another reset. Thank you so much. Would you like to extend your contract? That was a question they asked me on the phone. I said yes because we have no other options. I wait. The internet still does not work. I'm on the phone with this gentleman and he lets me know that he will do his very best to make sure that it's working by the next day. We had elder meeting that very day. As soon as elder meeting was over and the internet was still not working, I called Comcast again with another out. I really need therapy for this and this may be my session for it. I waited on the phone for yet another hour. This next person who works in a place called retention, he's not working well, but he lets me know that they will send someone or they will call me back within four hours, but he promises me that someone is going to physically come and fix our internet. I get an email at lunch Letting me know that they have checked everything remotely and that we should be working fine and that no one is coming. I screamed. I screamed at everyone that I met. I screamed at people I've never met. I did not know. I called Jared and I said, Jared, this has to be fixed. The next day, after I called again and pushed through all of the automation again and prayed again. They always also tell you. When you tell them you're at a church, they immediately tell you where they go to church. Which is weird. But, oh, he won't be as angry. So, so they eventually send someone to replace this cable. Now, when we finally got a person here, it was the grandest thing. He handed Jared a business card. A person who works for Bombast. He hands Jared a card and says, Oh, those automated things, they don't work very well. Just call me directly. That's what I wanted to do the whole time. I wanted you. When we read through Hebrews, we have the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant has all of these levels and all of these dividing lines all of these places where the people have been separated from God these people need access to God and the old covenant was showing them that the access was eventually going to be there that was the goal of it that was the intent that was the purpose but the old covenant was not ultimately what God had given hope and promise through the old covenant pointed to God's promise the old covenant took us to God's better access. The Old Covenant shows us what God is going to do, which is better than what we see happening in this Old Testament text. And in the Old Testament, we see that there are numerous levels that a person has to deal with when they are working through their relationship with God. So what we see as we work through Hebrews is that this idea of access to God, what we have in Jesus is not to be taken for granted because what we have in Jesus is a better access to God. We do not have to jump through the hoops or hop over the hurdles that the people of the Old Testament did. 
Because we are living in the fulfillment of the promise that God has given us in Jesus. And as people who live in that promise, it is important for us to continually consider what that means for our day-to-day lives. The regular... So when you really, if you're going to enter in to the visual of what takes place here, when we talk about the Holy of Holies and this holy place in Hebrews chapter 9, the fact that we have an explanation for it is fantastic. Fantastic. Though the writer does say he cannot go into detail about it. The fact that we have any idea as to what happens in there makes us unique even in comparison to the Jewish people who were given this. Because they spent their lives wondering what was going on behind that veil. They spent their entire lives wondering what was taking place in that holy of holies. They spent so much time trusting that the priest would accomplish for the next year and some of these these lower priests for the next day their continual right standing with God. The common people stood on the courtyard. They couldn't go beyond that. Next level you have these regular priests. It says they enter into this area regularly. By regularly that means that over the course of their entire lives the times that these regular priests, not the high priest, enter in to this sacred area, it combined to about a week. It was a very short period of time. But they entered regularly in comparison to everyone else. The high priest, the high priest enters into the Holy of Holies to offer up a sacrifice. And when he goes into the Holy of Holies to offer up the sacrifice, it was such a gut-wrenching event for all of the people that when he came out, some commentators have said there was a sigh of relief because the people did not really believe that he would come out. And when they, they, this was compared to and described as almost a gust of wind... So, when we look into Hebrews chapter 9 and we begin to read about what God has done and how his salvation is foreshadowed, you see that as you read through this text because you notice in these first few verses what's inside of that is incredibly important. It's not important for what it is, it's important for who it points to. So what's taking place in there? There was this lampstand, which was lit day and night as a reminder of God's continual presence. It was kind of designed weird in a way to reflect the tree of life. There was also a table of showbread. And the translation that I'm reading from, I read from two translations regularly. I read from the Christian Standard Bible. I also read from the ESV. I hear that that has upset some of you. I want you to know that I love you, but I'm going to have two with me most of the time. So when you look through this and you've got the showbread, there's the idea of this bread that's on the table inside of this area What's unique to the Jewish people and to the Christian faith when we consider the Jewish tradition is that the bread that was there right inside on this showbread, the showbread was different in comparison to the other gods of the world at the time. Because in every other religion, if you had a god, you would bring bread and offer that to him. If we're just asking hard questions, what kind of God needs you to bring provision for him? But 
for the Jewish people and in effect eventually us, we don't provide bread for God. God provides bread for us. So, so not only do you see that, you also see there was, there was an altar of incense. It stood right in front of the Holy of Holies. And it represented another thing, another barrier, another picture of limited access to God. There were, and when you get inside beyond this entry area, you get to the Holy of Holies. And there were a few things. You have the Ark of the Covenant in there. Inside the Ark, there are a few items there. And on top of that, stood two cherubim, which stood like guards guarding entry to the presence of God. The Holy of Holies is something that represented God's presence, in a sense, in the Old Testament. Did not represent it in the way that Jesus is represented because Jesus is our full representation of God. But the Holy of Holies that you read about in Scripture that we've heard about because we are Bible scholars in this room was so important there are numerous people who have touched it who died immediately. And not just touching it not just them touching it and choosing to place their hands on it for negative purposes. There is a situation in the Bible where they are carrying the Holy of Holies from one place to the next. Someone trips over a rock or something to the, that effect. And when they trip, one of these men reaches to catch the Holy of Holies to keep it from, this Ark of the Covenant rather, to keep it from falling to the ground. And when he touches the Ark of the Covenant, he dies immediately. Why? Because he's been told not to touch it. And in touching it, what he is saying to the God that we see in the Old Testament is, the God of the Bible, is that he believes that he is cleaner than the ground that God has created. So you see this idea of the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant inside with two angels sitting on each side. And because of that, we see the limited access that all of us have. As I said, these priests, they they spend so much of their lives uh, not doing anything in the presence of God, just preparing for it. We see that preparation in verses 6 through 10. If you'll go there with me. With these things prepared like this, the priests enter the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does that once a year, and and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people who had committed, the, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Do you see that? This whole routine, this whole ritual, doesn't even cover every sin. It covers the sins the people committed in ignorance. This whole routine and ritual only kept you in the good graces, so to speak, so that you could remain as part of the nation of Israel. This is not their hope. Because these people are still trusting that God will send a Messiah to deliver. These sacrifices that are prepared and taken care of for the people, uh, for their sins of ignorance. Anybody ever have ignorant sins? Sins that you do not know of. We all commit sins that we do not know of. The reason that we can see that these these sacrifices were only for the sins of ignorance 
is shown to us throughout the Old Testament. Because when people would commit overt sins, where they realized that they were wrongfully approaching the Lord, wrongfully living in regard to their relationship with the Lord, we see God speaking to the writers of Scripture, saying very interesting things to us. When David heard of him, King David, man after God's own heart, killed a giant... David prays and says, after committing sin with Bathsheba and killing her husband Uriah, he says, God, you don't delight in my sacrifice. You don't delight in what has been offered to you on my behalf because this sin I did not commit in ignorance. I committed it knowingly and willingly. When we move beyond that to Amos, who is not just a famous man who makes cookies. Amos says this, I cannot stand your assemblies and your bogus offerings. Bogus being a word that I have chosen to use and it may be in the message. We see, as we look through the scriptures, this recurring theme of, in the Old Testament, that the sacrifices that are offered on behalf of the nation of Israel are for the sins that they committed in ignorance. And their hope was in a promised one. Their hope was in that God would ultimately send a deliverer who would stand as their resurrection and their life. We see that when we look into the Old Testament, they have unlimited access... And unlimited results. Rather, they have limited access and limited results. The sacrifices can only go so far. Their approach to God is only so much. Everything for them is limited as we look to the scriptures and and, and the story of the Old Testament. They're far from God. They're removed from Him. They need something more. God's going to give us something more. We see that in verses 11 as we continue to read as the the transition from this place where we are foreshadowing the salvation that God would offer into the sacrifice that makes that salvation final and possible for us. We notice that God shifts to an unlimited access. You and I When we consider God, we have unlimited access to Him. In the sense that when you look into these Old Testament stories and these Old Testament pictures of sacrifice, so much is about forgiveness. And we love forgiveness. Who loves to be forgiven in the room? All right, I'm pro-forgiveness when it comes to me. When it comes to other people, I'm pro-wrath. That's kind of how my mind works. And that's how your mind may work too. It's an unhealthy thing for us that we have to work through. We always want to receive mercy for us. And we would love to see retribution for others. But when we look into this idea in scripture. When we consider forgiveness. It's a beautiful concept. And so many of us we miss something. Forgiveness when we look into the scriptures is not it. It's It's not ultimate. Because forgiveness says to someone who has wronged you, you can go. But that's not what God says to you. If all that God did for us when he forgives us was, okay, you're you're forgiven. That's what the nation of Israel received for the Old Testament. You've come and you've offered up your sacrifices. You can go. You can leave. That's what they've received in the Old Covenant. You're going to have to come back again, but right now you can just go. The law says 
that forgiveness says go. Grace says something better. Grace tells us we can stay. Grace says to you, you can stay with God. Grace says to you that you can sit with Him. That you can be with Him. That your access to God is something altogether different than just go. means stay. Now, we don't always live stay. We don't live stay because we have a misread as to what forgiveness is. The forgiveness that God has offered us in Jesus is a forgiveness that allows us to sit in His presence. It allows our songs to matter. It allows the things that we say to to have meaning to Him. We have an unlimited access to God. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were insufficient. But we see that in Christ we have unlimited access because His sacrifice is more than sufficient. These Old Testament ones were temporary and they needed to be repeated. In the New Testament, when we have received the person of Jesus, they are final. And this sacrifice does not need to happen again. Christ, as Scripture says, does not have to be crucified again. Once and for all, once and for all. An access that says, stay. Hope and I, when we were dating, well... We weren't even technically dating yet. I, I lived in Chattanooga. She lived in South Mississippi. She'd been to visit me oh, one weekend. And I, I took her to this really romantic hamburger eating contest. <laughs> but then I was going to go visit her. And w- when I went to visit her, she was working at a restaurant at the time. It was a place called Crescent City Grill. If you ever drive through Hattiesburg, Mississippi, you should stop there. It's pretty fantastic. And I walked in to, to meet her uh, there. She had, she, we were going to have dinner together at this restaurant. That's how good the restaurant was. She worked there and still wanted to eat there. But when we sit down at the table, we're, we're there. I'm having a conversation with her. We're kind of talking. And then she notices that there is a gentleman sitting next to us who's an older man. We'll call him Howard because that's what I want to call him. And Howard is by himself. He's older. So I noticed some things with my wife. She begins to have a conversation with Howard. And I'm sitting there trying to romance her over crawfish and she's talking to Howard. Why is she talking to him? Like I wanted to be cordial with him. I wanted to be kind to him. I wanted to be nice to Howard. But eventually in our very first meal in her town my wife who's Really, she's just the best person. She invites Howard to sit down and have dinner with us. So now not only am I doing my best to have conversation with this girl who I am pretty sure I'm going to marry at that point, I'm having a conversation with old man Howard about all of his life. But I'm also noticing that my wife is having a conversation with Howard too. But our conversations were different because my conversation with Howard was, oh, that's cool that you fought in some war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would stare at Hope. Hope continues to have this chat with him where she's making him part of our conversation. One of us looked like Jesus and one of us looked like your pastor. I want you to know... 
She keeps wrapping him in. She keeps bringing him to us. She keeps making sure that he is not isolated, that he is not removed, that he's part of what's taking place there. Jesus for you has done that. He has circled the wagons. He brings you in. He continually wants you to know that you're part of the conversation. That's why we're convicted. To let you know that God's not giving up on you. That God's not saying to you some weird old covenant thing of just go away. You've you got your sacrifice, just leave. God continually through Jesus says to you, stay, 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 stay. But I messed up, stay. I want you to stay. But I've done really bad, stay. Stay. You're not going to leave and do anything better than what I've done. But we're swimming in that. We're swimming in this stupid conversation of, I'll just get right and then I'll come back to God. I'll correct myself and I'll make God happy. And the thing is, I'm not just talking about out there. I'm talking about in here. People fill rooms like this regularly living in limited access rather than the unlimited provision that Christ has given stay but I've said stay I've messed up I know stay 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 unlimited access that provides unlimited results 13 for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Purified to serve is what unlimited results are. God has done a work in you so you can serve Him. God has cleaned you so you can walk with Him. So, during the thousand years, and you may not be familiar with this, during the thousand years of the Old Covenant, roughly, over one million animals were sacrificed. So, when they would offer up these sacrifices, it's a bloodletting look I don't love blood and I don't like to see people wounded I don't like to see people hurt in a sporting event that's kind of not my thing now there are some of you in this room who are like I love to see that kind of stuff you're a weirdo you need to stop that But, but when they would offer up these sacrifices uh, roughly every bull that was sacrificed would offer up a gallon of blood for every goat that was sacrificed there were, they were offering up a, a quart of blood in the Kidron Valley there was a trough constructed so that the blood would have a place to go that's the reason that we look away from blood what is being said in the animal sacrifices when we look to what's taking place there is that's horrific but what we are to also see is that's horrific and that should be me 
That should be me. That, that's happening in my place. But what Jesus has offered is not a system where we have to continually come back and continually to remind ourselves by saying, here's another animal, here's another animal, here's another animal. What we come back to God with is what God has said to us. I have stood in your place. I have taken steps that you could not take. I have done what you were unable to do. Jesus is not simply offering up animal sacrifices for us over and over and over and over. What Jesus is offering for us is one eternal sacrifice that allows our lives to matter from the day that we trust Him until that life is over and into eternity. The blood that Jesus offers is better. That's actually what the scriptures tell us. Verse 16, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. A will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So what's being said by the writer of Hebrews is that in the death of Jesus Christ, God stood in our place, and in that death, he has allowed us access to all that God is. He has allowed us access to hear all that God says. To be part of what God is doing and what God has done. We're people brought into right relationship with God through what Jesus has done. Because His blood is better. It's a better sacrifice than the Old Testament. And the writers of the Old Testament knew that it was a better sacrifice. That's why they keep pointing to what God's going to do for us in this great Messiah. This blood of Jesus is unlimited this blood of Jesus is a sacrifice that is final we have unlimited access to God as believers and God and the results of Christ's work on the cross they are unlimited as well so we see that his salvation is foreshadowed and his sacrifice is final which should let us know in the finality of that that he will sustain us forever He will sustain us forever. That when we need to converse with the Lord, He is sustaining. That He carries us through. So on your notes, I want you to do me a favor. You've got that sheet there. If you have something to write with, I want you to write down a passage that God has used in your life to sustain you. Write down a passage of God speaking to you where He has sustained you. When you get to that, when you write that down, or maybe you did not have a pen, I want you to open your Bible to that passage. Now we see the full swim of this text. Because when you read 23 through 28, we see the sustaining work of God for us in Jesus. We see the, the eternal work of God in Jesus. Because remember, the initial access of the people when they would consider going into the holy place and eventually to the holy of holies to see the Ark of the Covenant, there was a lampstand that was there. But we are no longer people who need access to the lampstand. When we have placed our trust in Jesus, we don't need a lampstand because we have trusted in the light of the world. Our access is not just showbread. We're not just hoping that go, to see the symbolic provision of God for us. In, God, in Christ, God has given us the bread of life. 
When we consider the curtain that's inside of this area, there is no longer curtain. The real curtain, the body of Jesus, was torn in two so that we could have a better access to God. The mercy seat on the, on the, in the Holy of Holies, on the Ark of the Covenant, where the blood was splattered. We no longer need that because we have a better opportunity in what God has done for us in Jesus. The reason I have you turn to your Bibles is to remind us of God's sustaining power to carry us through, in and through whatever life may take you through as a believer. Because this passage says to us over and over what? As we look at the tabernacle and we get to Hebrews chapter 9, leading up to this, multiple times we've heard a phrase that has reiterated this continual, consistent thought. Consider Jesus, consider Jesus, consider Jesus. It's said over and over, remember Jesus, think about Jesus. People in the old covenant, they didn't have that. Do you know what they had to consider? You know what they had to remember? They had to consider and remember a place where they could not get in and of themselves. Where they had to trust someone else to go between them. We don't need that. When the scriptures say to us, consider Jesus, we are seeing the full scale completion of what God was doing in the tabernacle. Because Jesus is our tabernacle. John tells you that, not me. And because Jesus is our tabernacle, we have all of those things that God has granted us. We have everything that God has promised us. So we see as people who God sustains forever that every time we're convicted, it's because access has been granted. Every time that we, are, that we forgive, it's because access has been granted. Every time that we are able to forgive, it's because access has been granted. Every time we're forgiven, because access has been granted. Every time we kneel to pray, we remember that access has been granted. And every time we open our Bibles to those verses that sustain us, to those verses that keep us going and keep us moving, we don't think that we can go or move anymore. It's because access has been granted. So let's live in that access. I want you to look at that passage that you're telling me about right now and I want you to just begin to read it. To yourself now. Read it again to yourself now. There are so many good things that we can celebrate. Good things that God is doing in our church and in our people. But what sustains us? is that Christ has offered himself in our place so that these very words that you read can have that meaning. So the things that you said aloud today, these scriptures can not just speak to you, but speak to those who are around you. There's a really good chance someone who's sitting around you needed to hear what you read. And God is sustaining us because of Christ's death through his resurrection 
through His Word that endures forever. And we're reminded that we have access to God that will not go away. I invite you just to bow your heads and let you know that if you need me to pray with you, I'm in the back of the room. If you're here and you're not a believer, we love to have conversations about that. If you're a believer who's struggling, we'd love to pray over you, pray with you. Because our God is a good God who has granted access. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. And we trust you to continue to move in our midst today. In your name we ask these things.